The following is a Secure Foundation broadcast. If you do not have the proper security clearance to listen to this broadcast, please turn off your listening device now and turn yourself in to the police. Our personnel will take it from there. Commencing playback of deadly auditory cognito hazard in 3, 2, 1. I'm your co-host Soren, and I'm your co-host David. It's it's so an hour away from my Ikea? house. It's an hour away from my house. Okay, cool. Uh, if you want to know what that's about, listen to the pre-show, which I'll actually put up this time. Unless <laughs> Patreon doesn't actually have a way to upload audio, I didn't think about that. I might need to find. Well, oh no. <laughs> uh oh. Oh no. Well, okay. We're here now. Uh, Ikea yeah, is forty-four miles from my house, and it's an hour away. You know, I know well, what. Those I'm are some numbers. Um. Don't use Yay. that information. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, we're, we're here. We're doing things. Um, today we're doing Law Foundation. Which is fun. We figured we had to do it eventually. Um, yeah. Also because I have no idea what canons are, so we're just clicking what looks fun. Yeah. Can't We, we know what canons are. It's not which these specifically oh, yeah, yeah. I are. know about, like, the, the, there's like three I know about, and we've done all of them by now. Including this one. <laughs> I think this is the third. Sorry, this is the third episode. I know. This is. I'm saying, including this one. This is the the like okay <laughs> one of the three that I actually know about. Okay. Um. Yeah. Oh fuck. We never collapsed thing. Whatever. What? Wait. We have to do that. Oh. <laughs> oh no. Do we want to do it is in the middle of the episode? Sure. You guys get to wanna... hear. This is a special behind the scenes moment. Okay. All right. So, so usually fun. what we do is I try to go three, two, one, and then we'll clap. But because of Discord, it's really fucked. Uh, yeah. So it's usually instinct for one of us or neither of us. Yeah. I and we kind of just give up at the three tries. I just make sure it sounds all right. All right. Okay. Yeah. So three, two, one, and then clap. Okay. Yep. All right. Three, three two, two, one. one. Was that good for you? Like a quarter second, maybe. All right. Let's do it one more time. Yep. All right. Three. Two, one. Perfect. Okay. All right. Cool. Behind the scenes. Uh, <laughs> goodbye to your eardrums. Yeah. Um. All right. Anyways, yeah. Law Foundation. Hi. We're doing that. There's a cool uh, art on the page. It is. We're gonna read that tale. It's for a tale called New Kid on the Block, which we will read in a, in a little bit. But yeah. first, we're gonna read the main <clears throat> stuff on the page. Uh, there's a little. There's some text in a box underneath the uh, illustration, which I'm going to read. It says, Once there was a time where we thought mankind would never go back to living in fear. Not anymore. There was a time in the past where a total containment failure was a matter of concern beyond office cooler talk, and when the thousand deaths of thousands was a tragedy rather than an achievement. This is a world where one statement displeasing an egotistical view can get your ass booted out of reality. Welcome to a world without logic. A place of much pain, torment, with an extra helping of shock and awe. This is a foundation that has failed without knowing, where inmates run the asylum and the last man has flown over the cuckoo's nest. This is the land of Law Foundation. <clears throat> uh, you yeah. Read what the hell happened? <laughs> I'll do that. So, what the hell happened? Once upon a time, there was a man named Fritz. Good old Fritz was a reality bender, and one who knew what he was doing. My mic cable has just started attacking me. 
The Foundation, being the folks they are, made a good effort to catch and contain him. But, as the story goes, either somebody made a mistake or made a deal. Maybe a little of both. Either way, armed with level 4 knowledge, Fritz scooped up everything we thought we knew, twisted, wormed, and cracked the very fabric of reality over his knee. Most of his jailers died in an instant, but some were to survive, in a way. A few men and women became reality benders without the awareness coming with the power. Their will folded an apocalyptic event into a VK-class reality restructuring event where the anomalous became normal and everything right is wrong again. Now, the world is a product of their minds. They control the Foundation and, in fact, the rest of the known universe by pure fo force of ego. This is lull Foundation with consequences, but of course they'll never be felt by the staffs themselves. Maybe a couple hundred researchers get killed, or you bomb the Statue of Liberty, but that's just life. You just deal with it. <laughs> just deal with it. Real quick, I hit my hand on my desk earlier because I got mad when I was playing Overwatch and it's still red. This was over hmm. an hour ago. Anyways, uh, laws of this canon. Uh, the Foundation is run by the senior staffed author avatars, who are reality benders suffering from a cognition-altering effect. They cannot see the terrible consequences of their actions. While to them, it's silly fun stuff everyone loves. In reality, the world is an anarchy. Two, reality has been folded to the point where the anomalous is normal. People can be living in ordinary life one moment and be smote by the vengeance of a cleft the next. Almost nobody in the world remembers the way things were before, and they can't see what's really happening either. The world hasn't been destroyed, but society is more or less just acting out the motions. This isn't to say you should write some random shit, but don't be afraid to break the rules for how some characters usually act. On the flip side, don't mischaracterize the shit out of characters for no good reason. And three, the Foundation is a captive audience for the reality avatars. Some might remember the way things used to be, but most are blindly led by the senior staff and instilled the old Foundation talking points. <clears throat> and then uh, locations. Um, site 19, the main site for the Foundation. This is the headquarters of all the senior staff and the hub of all their activity. Its location shifts with their will and basically functions like the site in Eberstrom's proposal with fewer anomalies and more shenanigans. However, you might imagine a site where Kondraki would be allowed to have a 682 or 682 rodeo. This would be it. And then the Outland, what you would call flyover country, while the uh, major SS members are having their shenanigans around the uh, major sites and populated areas. Those who aren't in favor with the main senior staff regime, regime, are roaming. Regime. Uh, regime. Yeah. Regime are roaming the countryside, minding their business and trying not to incur the wrath of the class and contractors of the world with varying success. You might find some ordinary people working in bombed-out office building and living in the crumbling ruins of a place they called home. Feel free to write up any additional locations you make in your stories. And then There's you can read people. Some people. Yeah. The author avatar character... Oh, hold on. God, I missed the first words... Of who it is. <laughs> the senior staff. The author avatar characters now turned into reality benders. They passively change the world around them to what they want it to be, praising them and encouraging their exploits. They spend their days interacting with various skips and each other in the coolest way that they can imagine. Groups of interest. Most of the Clapsic... Clapsic? Clapsic. Classic. <laughs> yep. Most of the classic groups of interest will be going by their original motivation. What, what did I say? That? I, I like I I don't even know how you could have Clint's mixed that. Smite me <laughs> for speaking bad. Just kidding. That would have been done long ago. By their original motivations, <laughs> not whatever I said. Motivation. The Global Occult Coalition destroy, destroy, kill. Also uses cannon fodder, similar to the Chaos Insurgency. The Serpent's Hand spies who infiltrate the Foundation and steal humanoids. Destroy stuff sometimes. The Chaos Insurgency. 
Their agents more or less apparate out of nowhere whenever the senior staff feel a need to have any sort of antagonist. The Church of the Broken God. Heretics that have spies that infiltrate the Foundation to get their pieces of God back can also be used as cannon fodder. Are we cool yet? Skips with this phrase tend to be artsy and destroy stuff a lot. Unusual incident unit. Bumbling buffoons. Other groups of interest don't have obvious ways to act for Law Foundation. Maybe someone could write a story about them, winky face. SCPs. The senior staff weren't the only ones to be given reality-bending powers. The well-known SCP articles, like 076 and 682, can also reinforce their badassery in the real world through perception. Of course, that means we encourage the articles more well-known to be used in this canon, but that doesn't mean you can't use newer stuff if you think of a good way to use it. You want to read the next add section? Things to this canon? Who can add things to this canon? Anybody. Anybody! I was really close to the mic. Anybody! Um, <laughs> so, uh, we are gonna, um... Uh, yeah, we're gonna, uh, read Anybody. what the art... Sorry. Anyone can add to this game. Okay. Um, yeah, so, like, like we mentioned earlier, the, the art at the top of the page is for New Kid on the Block, which we're gonna read that. I yes. don't know what it, it is. We have not uh, pre-read. Yeah, as we haven't read anything. The art shows a guy with sort of like a crown of thorns above his head with a bunch of butterflies around him. There's like an, uh, an Indian, I'm assuming that's an Indian, just based off the way he's dressing, um, like a you know Native American type thing off to the right. There's like a dragon with a bunch of eyes. There's a dude with two eyes with a snapback on. There is uh, a dog with glasses. There are a couple of snakes, I think. There are some gears, and then there's uh, like a... I don't know, fucking monster thing with a jack-o'-lantern for her head. So oh, this horseman dude. Yeah, I couldn't remember the name of it. Uh, but yeah, so that's a thing. <laughs> um, and some butterflies. Yeah, I think I mentioned those. Um, oh. But yeah, yeah, so New Kid on the Block. This is cut up into a bunch of different sections, so we can probably just alternate yep. uh, every time with that. So I will start first. <sighs> Sorry, I thought I had to burp again, but I did not, and so I just made an awkward pause. So yeah, yeah, new kid on mean, the block. Awkward pauses are our brain, aren't they? <laughs> pretty much. One day, Jacob realized that the foundation was the place for him. It was the day the pretty girl from his high school's Alto Clef fan club died in his arms, telling him how wonderful his long, raven-black locks of hair looked as they framed his perfectly symmetrical face. Jacob smiled, a flawless smile, as he was especially proud of those long, raven-black locks of hair. It had taken him hours in front of the mirror to make them look convincingly like hair. As she died... Jacob screamed in anguish, pain, and grief, and vowed revenge against the robotic servants of the Church of the Broken God that had killed her. Channeling the full might of his incredible power over vegetation, Jacob had shredded his, his school in a blanket of vines and commanded them to collapse inwards, destroying the building and all the cybernetic cultists inside, sparing only the, sparing only the pretty girl. Her body was borne aloft above the devastation on a bower of vines, which burst into flower as they brought her to rest in front of Jacob. On reviewing the corpse, he opted to make a few minor cosmetic improvements to honor her memory. With everything he had ever cared about lying in ruins around him, Jake, son of Gaia, set off on the journey to Site-19, where he knew he would find people able to aid him in his vendetta against the foul broken god. Oh, and his parents were probably dead too. At the gate to Site-19, Jacob encountered a man in the shape of a dog. Hello there, Dr. Crow said. I saw you were coming. Welcome to Site-19. Jacob stared up at the towering glass and marble building in front of him. It had ni 29 stories, just as he had imagined it, topped with three huge letters, maybe 9.144 meters tall. It was heaven. As soon as he could contain his excitement, Jacob launched into his introduction. I am Jake, son of Gaia. 
Sinister cybernetic servants of the Church of the Broken God killed my family and my one true love, though I was able to best them in combat with the help of my brothers, the trees and vines. But the cultists I destroyed were only a fragment of the might of the foul Broken God. Only the SCP Foundation knows where I can find the rest of the unnatural Broken God to destroy it. I promised over the dead bodies of my family to avenge their loss, so I came here. Kane chuckled. You'll fit right in, Jake, son of Gaia. I'm Dr. Kane Pathos Crow. Pleased to meet you. The two shook hands. Can I be a doctor, too? I've heard so much about you. I want an egg walker, too, but it would it be able to heal itself if it got damaged because it would be made of living plants and vines? Ah, I don't think so. Controlling plants sounds awfully paranormal to me. That's the kind of thing we need to test and make sure the rest of the world doesn't know about. I think you'd do better as an SCP than as senior staff. What about Clef and Bright and Gerald? They're anomalous, too. Dr. Crow shook his head. They've been doing this a lot longer than you have, Jake. They've always been staff. There never was a time when they weren't senior staff. We can't just make them SCPs now. Don't worry. Being an SCP is a lot of fun, too. Come on, let's walk inside. Jake Sinovguy and Dr. Kane Pathos Crow walked up to the looming gate to Site-19. Dr. Crow paused. You'll have to get it for me. I don't have any hands. I'm a dog. I'm going to do the next two sections because the first one's pretty short. Yeah. The third floor stretched before Jacob, a final gallery of marvels before he reached the hall he'd been staying in. He was to be SCP-422, because April 22nd was Earth Day. Theater class, of course. Dr. Crow led him through, pointing out SCPs of particular interest, such as SCP-307, their carnivorous ivy. Kondraki had five plantings in, in the waiting room for his office. They claimed a secretary a week. Jacob stepped forward, keeping pace with Dr. Crow, and Jacob opened his eyes. He was in a dingy room of weathered walls that had perhaps once been white. In one corner of the room, most of light swam in a bell jar. A thick plexiglass window looked out on a gray wasteland crossed by scattering cracked roads. An aging man sat on a wooden chair at a desk in front of him, and his eyes matched the room. Hello there, SCP-343 said. I saw you were coming. Welcome to Site-19. Oh, by Jacob the way, 343 is uh, the one, the god. He's the one who claims to be god. Oh, that's fun. Jacob looked around him. The cell he was in bore no resemblance to the Wonderland that was going to be his new home. What was the meaning of this? This isn't Site-19, he said. And I, Jake, son of Gaia, demand that you return me there now. Jacob commanded vines to sprout forth from the ailing walls to ensnare his foe. No such vines emerged. The man shook his head and said, None of that. You're Jacob Glaser, playing a demigod. In my room, I'll have things the way that they really are. Who are you? Why are you doing this? These days, I'm SCP-343. I brought you here to warn you and tell you that... Tell you what Dr. Caro, Kane, won't. I bet you're used to things going on your way, right? And how long has it been since you've worn your own hair rather than that black stuff? The plant command, too. Guess you're a little type green, then. Here, there's a lot of people like you. The staff, the major SCPs, they can all do what they what, what you can. They're used to things going their way, just like you are. If things don't work out between you and them, you could be in danger. I can keep an eye out for you, but... What are you talking about? The staff all like me. This is the safest place in the world, because the Foundation stands for Secure, Contain, Protect... Not destroy, destroy, destroy. 343 side. Well, well, we'll see. Unfortunately, you might well fit right in, which is the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. You need to stop killing people. Your family, your school. I know you didn't realize, but you have to understand what you do to people around you. A surge of indignation and crossed out sheepishness went through Jake. I save people, that's what I do. From the foul servants of the broken god, who are the ones who killed everyone I hold dear. Jacob, they died to give you a tragic backstory. Where do you think those poor cyborgs came from? Around you, everyone's just a puppet, a prop, an extra, but leave them alone and they're as real as you are. That's not true. 
I just don't want anyone else to have to go through the harrowing and awful trials I've suffered. Anyone else? Let me tell you something, Jacob. Uh, you'll have more chances here to save people from cultists, but those cultists will be just whatever unfortunates were near you when you and your new friends decided to play a game. You're going to just be another 076, another Kondraki. SCP-343 rose from its chair, a look of revulsion on its face. It was no more a man than Kane was a dog. You've never seen anybody but extras, he continued. But you've met Kane. You've met me, and you'll meet more. You'll have your fun, and people will die for it when they're cast in the story of your life. We're all the same. Go, Jacob Glazer. Go and play as Jake, son of Gaia. Gaia solipsist. I'll read the next two. Then he continued down the hallway towards the elevator to the next level, shaking. When they reached room 422, Kane stopped. Here we are, then. The chamber's outfitted with standard accommodations. Well, sends the wine cooler since you're under 21. If there's anything else you want, just add it to your containment procedures. It's good to have you with us, Jake, Dr. Crow barked once, and the egg walker came trampling down the hallway, holding some ungainly creature that gave Jacob a doleful look through mismatched eyes. Dr. Crow rode off, and Jacob entered the containment chamber and sealed the door. In the middle of the culmination of all his dreams, the words of 343 lingered. Could he trust the opulence surrounding him? Jacob focused, and for a second the room became a small, barren cell with a cot and a chair and a table, but it was too much, so Jacob fell back on the feather bed and let the sound system lull him to sleep. Incident 422-01. On 10-31 blank, while transporting objects associated with the Church of the Broken God past 422's containment cell, D-2663 and D-7529 were heard to remark that it should be perfectly safe to leave these Broken God artifacts in the server room while we go get pizza, right D-2... Right, D2663? And absolutely. On hearing this, 422 used pumpkin seeds he'd been storing since Thanksgiving to burst open the door to his cell and attempted to take the, ch to take the church artifacts. Dr. Bright was also in the hall, however, and ordered the D-class personnel to stop 422. In the ensuing struggle, Dr. Bright and D663 were injured. Dr. Bright then transferred himself to D7529 and called for security personnel as he launched pursuit of 422. 422 summoned vines to entangle security and approached the Site-19 entrance, with Bright still in pursuit. He threw the remaining pumpkin seed behind him, and within seconds the corridor filled with a wall of pumpkins. As 422 fled the facility, Dr. Bright is observed to be slowly dismantling the wall of pumpkins, then rolling them outside. Security footage captured Bright tying approximately eight pumpkins together by the stems into a roughly humanoid figure. He then removed 963 and dropped it into the assembled pumpkins. The mass animated, and the head pumpkin spontaneously carved itself into a jack-o'-lantern. Dr. Bright then ran after 422 in his new body. Seeing Dr. Bright approach, 422 tried to use his powers, but succeeded only in growing Dr. Bright even larger. 422 recaptured and returned to his containment chamber. Dr. Bright agreed to return to a human body when pointed out that the pumpkins were too big to eat from 458, which is... the never-ending pizza box. Jake, son of guy, is a da very dangerous SCP. It's fortunate for us that he was motivated to prevent the dangerous handling of the Church of the Broken God items. Who knows what horrors the forge from the Forge of the Broken God would be unleashed on Site-19 had he not acted so early, Dr. Wright. Jacob couldn't recall ever having had so much fun. He couldn't believe he had waited almost a month to breach containment. It was probably the caviar in television, he mused, far sturdier than inner walls or, or locks. Nothing to do with his chat with 343. Incident 422-20. On 3-29, redacted... 422 is provided with meatloaf for his dinner, in, con in contravention of his preferences outlining his containment procedures. 422 protested to the guards and vowed to go on a hunger strike until he was given a natural, vegan diet like humans are supposed to eat. When given a metal block the next day, 422 entered the rage state and attempted to breach con containment. 
data expunge, but Kondraki was able to outfence and destroy each of the four, four remaining plantings before they consumed him and his prize, data expunged. Dr. Crow and Kondraki then confronted 422 in Site-19, sub-basement Omega, where 422 announces that he plans to throw the final cutting of 30C, er, SCP-307 onto the geothermal vents and use that energy combined with his power to data expunge 400 feet, 400 meters tall, and redacted the entire foundation. The rapidly growing data expunge seized the shards of SCP-143 in its tendrils and lowered them into the geothermal vent, forging them together into redacted seven swords. It and Jake, son of Gaia, fought with Kondraki while Dr. Crow attempted to disrupt the energy flow to the data expunge. The data expunge made a lunge with all seven swords at Kondraki, who artfully parried, sending the swords tearing through the wall like tissue paper. This proved a mistake, however, as the wall was part of the containment cell for SCP-506, the instant-growing plants. Chuckling at Kondraki's mistake, Jacob used his power to breach containment on 506, causing them to ensnare Kondraki. Jake, son of Gaia, then asked Kondraki if he had any last words before the data exchange ran through him, ran him through redacted times, to which Kondraki replied, Yeah, what's red, green, and blue, and red by you? To which Jacob replied, A newspaper? Five, five, enlarged instances of SCP-504, then flew at him. Which are the and... tomatoes that hurl themselves at anyone making a bad pun. <laughs> at uh, lethal levels. Yeah. Uh, enlarged instances of 504, then flew at him in speeds in excess of, uh, oh god, uh, 2,175 miles per hour, blowing the data expunge to pieces and stunning Jake, son of Gaia. Kajaki remarked that, no, my butterfly is making a... F- my butterfly's making a four look like a six. Shouldn't a plant guy know the difference between zucchini and tomato? Meanwhile, Dr. Crow succeeded in deactivating the geothermal vents, causing a loss of power to 15 Keter-class containment cells. See incident 682-076-106-1370-8 for further details. And also causing Jason of Gaia to plummet into the shafts below Site-19, where he was easily recovered and returned to his containment cell. Dr. Crow apologized for breaching containment, but was not subject to disciplinary action due to the overwhelming benefit to the foundation this caused. SCP-422 hunger strike ends after three, three days. I had never considered how good fencers plant, fencer plants might be. Inferior and skilled to myself, of course, but I won't underestimate their ability to wield one sword in each match again. Still, they seem more vulnerable to fire than most people I've faced. Dr. Kondraki. Hmm. <laughs> Here's that awkward pause again. Oh, yeah, I'm going. As awesome as fighting Kondraki and Crow was, and as totally sweet as watching the chaos unleashed when Crow let loose half the Keters in Site-19, Jacob was troubled. While the others were chasing Jake, son of Gaia, down into the bowels of the Foundation, he had stayed behind- what? He had stayed behind and tried to strip the veils of unreality from the corpse of one of the D-class consumed by 307, which is... Plant. It's a green plant. It's a purple plant, I mean. Of some sort. The D-class was no less dead without them. Rather, more so, actually. When While all his classmates died, they were just dead. None of the messy inside bits. When his parents were killed, were they his parents? Was it really the Broken God servants that had done it? They too had looked at peace. That wasn't right. That wasn't how things were supposed to be. That was how they were made to be. Incident 422-25. On data expunged, 50-50. Church, that's, no, wait, hold on. That's the opposite of how you do the numbers. It's got the number 50 and then the word 50 in parentheses. Church of the Broken God cultist entered Site-19 and attempted to steal 882. I'm not going to look what they are anymore. 
<laughs> Seeing site security being mobilized to stop them, 422 used a small stash of 843 to grow a herd of vegetable buffalo and commanding them to stampede down the door to his containment cell. Following the terrible grinding of gears, he came upon Gerald Kondraki and the site Gerald. security. Gerald. It, okay. It says Gerald with a D. It, no, Gerald. That's how it's pronounced. Gerald. And it's site security fighting the cultists on the eighth floor. 422 grew the fibers in the uniforms of the security agents into impenetrable armor to protect them from the cog pistols wielded by the followers of the Broken God. Just as Gerald reached the cultists working to access 822, the last lock fell and the great machine within let out an ear-splitting scream of greeting. A cultist leapt into the grinding maw of 822, but rather than be crushed by it, he somehow fused with it. SCP-882-882 collapsed inwards around him, taking on a semblance of human form, guided by human will. A gear lord of the Church of the Broken God had arisen within the site, the walls of Site-19 itself. Dr. Gerald is reported as having said, This called for desperate measures. Then security footage shows him putting on a pair of rollerblades and skating towards the gear lord. The resulting explosion destroyed 882's containment chamber, blasted the gear lord through the wall and out the building, and also damaged the pipelines, delivering acid to 682's tank. Crossed out. Curiously, no members of security in, were injured in the explosion. It was a tremendous explosion. Of course they died, Dr. Gerald. Go with Jake on this one, Gerald. I'll need some of them for later. 682. Kondraki and 422 took the emergency hang glider from the from the 803's containment chamber. It was in there in case it became necessary to fight the parasols in all three dimensions. See instance 803-40 and 803-49. And leapt out of the hole in the wall of Site-19 site to where the Gear Lord gathered itself, literally, below. Out of concern for safety, Dr. Gerald volunteered to, stay, to take the stairs. Once outside, Kondraki drew... Uh, eight, seven, one, eight, seven, one, and engaged the gear lord in combat while Jake, son of Gaia, grew entangling roots around the whirling metal of its feet to slow it down. The surviving cultist shot at, shot at Kondraki, but he was too fast, deflecting an estimated 493 uh, tainted gears with his sword. Data expunged. Just as Kondraki landed a killing blow on the gear lord and turned his attention to the servants of the broken god, the gate to Site 19, 19, burst open, and Dr. Gerald came out running, followed by the ten remaining members of site security. A 300 decibel roar behind them told everyone that 682 was loose. Jacob watched as the bulk of SCP-682 leapt through the air in an probably impossible trajectory towards Dr. Gerald. Not Gerald, who wasn't there when it landed. It bellowed... It's not. It bellowed and swiped... It's not. It bellowed and... It's not. And swiped at a guard, but at... No. At Jacob's thought, no. The the blow went wide. No. None of the corpses really went away, he found. No. Without the vibrant live... (laughs) I'm gonna read that again. (laughs) It bellowed and swiped at a guard, but at Jacob's thought, the blow went wide. None of the corpses really went away, he found. Without the vibrant liveness of the senior staff, the hallways of Site-19 was scattered with bones. Jake, Kondraki shouted, bisecting another cultist. Come help. These are the monsters who killed your family. It was true. This was the eighth time servants of the Broken God had attacked in the months since Jacob had arrived at Site-19, nearly as frequently as Chaos Insurgency agents. Ten times. He wasn't sure where they came from or where they went. If they were killed, he couldn't tell their bodies apart from those of guards or D-class, or even those of the junior researchers from the SCP-050 Prankpocalypse, now that he thought about it. The dramatic black and red cloaks of the insurgency agents seemed to only be there when the staff were near. What if the sinister cybernetic servants of the Church of the Broken God were also like that? What if all people were people? Jacob turned to one cultist running towards him and peeled away everything but the bare truth. The villain stumbled, the ground beneath him drained of life and color, where the half-machine fanatic had fallen was now a frightened, half-starved man who tottered away. Jacob grinned. He had been right. You see, guys? 
We don't need to kill them after all. What did you just do? Kondraki said, suddenly very still. Well, like any other sort of corruption, my plants can cleanse the machine plague. So I grew some, and they siphoned all the SCP-217 right off of him. Oh, bulb! Redacted, yelled Kondraki. Then he paused, focused, and said again, much more quietly. I said bullshit. You think you can do that? Don't you ever... with me. Fuck! Jacob stepped back, but Kondraki continued. I'm the one everyone wants. If I say the O5s orally osculate odiferous offensive... Shit, I know there's more words that start with O. The point is that they'll give me a medal anyhow for saving their asses in the, lights in the last site-wide containment breach. Know your place, Jake. You're the Dandelion guy we got locked up, and I'm the everlasting badass the fucking devil's scared of. Though the record would later claim that SCP-422 entered a rage state at this point, Jacob in, in fact felt quite calm. But I'm an SCP, not a doctor. You're not the boss of me, he said, and restored reality around Kondraki. Dr. Alan Kondak was not as tall as Kondraki had been, and neither did he possess the everlasting badassness, rugged handsomeness, or lustering mus musculature. He wore a tattered lab coat, and his nails were gnawed to the quick. In Dr. Kondak's right hand, he held a short, rusted metal bar that slipped from now slack fingers. From his sunken chest came a low wail of loss. Jacob stared. Dr. Kondak sobbed. The tableau held for nearly a minute, then a crushing mental force set Jacob staggering into the ground and broke his concentration. He looked up to see SCP-682 and Dr. Gerald standing over him, ashen-faced. Dr. Kondak was gone, hidden away again under swaths of con consensus reality, and the Kondraki that raised himself to the feet, not easily, because Kondraki was never uneasy, looked almost the same as before. You little shit, he snarled as the prostrate Jake. The fucking piece of shit SCP you are. Jacob struggled to keep his form from obeying Kondraki's imp imp imprecation. Just what will we do with you, Jake, said SCP-682, planting a claw on his back. I think a decommissioning is in order, said Dr. Gerald. And he has fucking earned it, said Kondraki, a grim smile spreading across his face. Against the three of them, Jacob could do nothing. He could barely even maintain the separation between Jake, the son of Gaia, and himself. He felt both parts of him shackled, beaten, and dragged towards Site-19. As he passed through the gates, a soft voice spoke in his ear. I don't think there's much more for you here worth experiencing. Let me in, and I can take you away. With the last of his strength, Jacob signaled uh, acquiescence. I don't know. Then SCP-343 was all around him, and he was gone, sinking into blackness. Hmm? Yeah. All right. Decommissioning log 422. SCPs requisitioned 272-891-1417-2800. Procedure, data expunged. Addendum, seriously, fuck that guy, Kondraki. Jacob opened his eyes. He was in a large meadow, dotted with flowers and dappled with shade. A ways away, some figures were playing, joyously. Through the brilliant sky, if he looked closely, he could half make out a scarred room and a weary figure. He knew that another moat now danced in 343's bell jar. The couple of figures in the group ahead split off and approached him, a dog and a vampire. Hi there, said the dog. We were told you might be coming. Come, join us. Rest, relax, until we're finally needed. I'm Joseph Simpson, and this is my friend Sid Desquenny. Desquesny. What's your name? Jacob paused. He felt the plants listen to him, knowing they would still obey the command of Jake's son of Gaia. But then he broke into a broad, broad grin and said, Nice to meet you. I'm D Jacob Glazier. So yeah, he could control plants and things. And he did a bunch of crap. Okay, uh, mid-roll time. Now. Yes, immediately into it's it. Happening. Hey, thanks for listening. Yeah, <laughs> this is happening. Just roll with it. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. Share um, the show, where fellas tell your friends, fellas.
fellow fellas. Tell them to s- that if they need audio quality, then skip the first unit, except maybe the first episode. I still don't know if that actually worked, me updating it. Um, tell them to start with the groups of interest if they care that much about it. And also if they want it to be a little less serious, then start with this unit, I guess. We're kind of just here. We're doing our thing. Uh, but yeah, um, again, thanks for everyone that listens. Uh, as usual, we have a Patreon and a Twitter. Uh, Patreon.com slash podcast. We have two tiers. One is a uh, uh, $1, and that's for a shout-out. And then for um, $5, that's uh, for access to our Discord channel and cut content, as well as a shout-out. Um, our Twitter is twitter.com slash show and or at show. The Discord is linked in our Twitter bio uh, if you wanted to join that as well, even if you're not in the exclusive channel or whatever. Um, you can find that there. And Soren's still yep. dead. Um, did you do the Patreon already? Yes, I did. Okay. Uh, for sponsorships, promotional messages, and personal messages, please email scpodcastofficial at gmail.com. And thank you to Kevin McLeod for providing our music under the title Twisting. And we're going to start the next tale, I guess. Can After I ask a word what from... keeps taking you so long? I'm not paying attention. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> I'm tired, man. Um, Alright. Yep. Okay, the uh, next one that we're doing is Soren Claps his way through. I'm um, gonna edit that out, dang it. <laughs> we can edit it out. No, but, no, you're fine. Okay. Well, we're just going with it. Uh, yeah. Uh, the next one that we're doing is called Free Reality Check. Press button. Um, did you want to read this one, and then I can read the next one since you wanted to do this one? Oh, the Free Reality free Check. Free Reality button? Check. Yeah. Sure. It's not that long. <laughs> um. Yeah, neither of the other two are that much long, uh, so we can probably just read them by ourselves. Yep. It was a generally... Sorry, Uh, sorry, I was going to say, this one's called... My bad, my bad. This one's called Free Reality Check! uh, Exclamation point, colon, press button. Now you can go. I'm sorry. It was a generally gloomy day, such as was normally the case when Dr. Jack Bright had a mild hangover and was also a chimpanzee for one reason or another. (laughs) Outside his window, the rain pattered lightly as his clumsy fingers reached for the coffee pot aside of his bed and flipped it on. He scratched his head. He took a piss. He waddled back into his room just in time for his first morning joe. It was about that time, as he would recall later, that he noticed the delivery truck, which was strange, mostly because it was Tuesday, and deliveries arrived every other Wednesday. Having thought thoughtfully determined that this would be a scheduled and advanced hangover, Dr. Bright had little else to do for the time being, and so rode the elevator out to the front gate to see what he could do to see what he could see about the box which had been left outside. Five security men were already looking over it, poking it with sticks, scratching their heads, and looking around for someone smarter than them to handle the problem. Dr. Bright considered making a wise remark about evolution, but thought better of it, mostly due to the throbbing pain of his dome. I, I just don't know what to make of it, Dr. Bright, one of the security guards said, shrugging like those damn rookies always do. Bright grunted in such a way that told the others to back off and took a clumsy sip of his coffee as the rain stopped falling. Before him was a pine plywood box with a button on it. It looked pristine and perfect and clean, and notably not very wet at all. On the box was a sign. Free candy. Press button. Maybe it was the sun starting to be in his forehead. Maybe it wasn't just banging on all cylinders that morning. Maybe it was the brain of the chimp clouding his judgment. 
Whatever the reason, Dr. Wright scratched the stubbly beard slowly growing on his apish chin and pronounced aloud, I like candy. There was a snapping sound, then nothing. You really think this will work? Agent Harold Simpson of RCT Delta T asked as he helped hoist the heavy box into the back of the truck. I mean, I've read about String 093, and these guys are, well, they're just us, in a manner of speaking. I've worked with Dr. Bright extensively, and the thought of him just pushing a button like that... Agent Bert Talman shook his head and pulled the door to the truck closed tight. No, you're right. The Jack Bright we all know, and some of us even like, would never do something so stupid. But this is not the Jack Bright you know. How do you mean? Harold punched a few numbers in the keypad by the door and listened to the capacitors beneath the floor begin to whine. The Jack Bright you know isn't a god, Tomlin chuckled. Never underestimate the stupidity of gods. The capacitors discharged, and the garage door opened onto a barren waste where a single speck of green shined cleanly in the distance. And if it works, then this is resolved? Harold asked, doing his best to fill his mind with happy thoughts and praise. Nah, Tomlin said as the engine turned over. It's just one anchor after all, just enough to make a splash. Still, it ought to be funny as hell. The Silver Creek Parcels van shakily lurched forward onto the ash-covered ground. The unreal desert wrapped around them, silently welcoming its first taste of normalcy in many, many years. SCP number 3882. Object class, crossed out safe, Keter. Special containment procedures. The object is suspended by a beryllium bronze chain in the center of a 55 by 55 by 55 meter steel container with access at floor level, and via catwalk at 25 meters up the northern wall. A holographic protection at Projection at 25 meter radius around 3882 designates the active radius. Only D-class personnel may attempt to deactivate the device with permission of Dr. Kondraki and at least one more level 5 senior staffer. Other experiments may only be performed with direct supervision from Dr. Kondraki. 3882 was a small plywood box containing machinery of unknown origin, all of which is constructed of a beryllium bronze alloy. Although samples may be taken of this material, it always re instantly regenerates no matter what. The device seems to be powered by six standard 12-volt car batteries which have, resistance all which have resisted all attempts to remove them. 3882 causes a defect in all reality in the 25-meter radius. All man-made structures, most plants and animals, and most humans undergo rapid decay and disintegration within the active radius until reached a level consistent with 43 to 62 years of disrepair and neglect. Trace amounts of redacted radiation are also present in the, in the affected area, consisted with blank 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 some time in data expunged. 3882 was recovered on the front steps of the Site-19 by Dr. Bright with a sign attached to it advertising, Free Candy, Press Button. Due to his insatiable sweet tooth, Dr. Bright pressed the indicated button and activated 3882, causing data expunged 15 attempts. The device was deactivated and Dr. Bright has made a full recovery. Due to the effect, researchers entering the active radius suffer, suffer extreme emancipation and rapid unconsciousness, and D-class personnel so far show only a 1% survival rate. Although after deactivation, about 20% of those killed by 3882 are recovered in time for a monthly termination. Note, there wasn't even any candy in it. What kind of a monster would do this? Dr. Bright. So what I think happens is this is just a reality anchor. It just takes away their god powers in the radius and shows that they have been neglecting the world for about 50 years. But the candy. They promised candy. Mm. That's mean. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that makes sense. Um, and then the next one and... All right, I'll be right back. Okay. Well, that's good because I'm reading it anyways. Uh, the next one and then probably the last one, just for time, um, is called Private Hell. Uh, I picked that only because of the name because, as Soren said, we have done no pre-reading. 
Um, so again, Private Hell, I'm going to read this one. It's about the time that Kondraki blows up a bus full of nuns to capture the flying, fire-breathing walruses that Dr. Alto Clough has the first suspicion that things are not going as they should be. Uh, real quick, I think, I, 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 from my back in my music days, <laughs> when I had to do music at like elementary school, I think Alto Clough is like a, a music thing. I don't remember. Uh, if you're listening to the episode, let me know on the Discord server because I, I don't remember and I don't want to have to look it up, but I think it is. Anyways, uh, it should be awesome, he realizes, and it is awesome. Riding the adrenaline rush of explosions as the fire-breathing flying walruses scorch the earth around them, causing bystanders to flee in terror from the pyroclastic pinnipeds. Diving behind the counter of a Starbucks and opening fire with a shotgun loaded with frag rounds, and seeing the fat flying walrus with the, with the flames jetting out from under its massive mustache explode in a shower of meat and blood. And it definitely should be awesome when he and Kondraki fist bump on top of the stack of bodies as the city of Des Moines <laughs> burns around them both. But as he rode his black convertible back to Site-19 with a beautiful blonde woman giving him head from the front passenger seat, Dr. Alto Clef could not help but feel a small voice in the back of his head whispering something to him, like the Roman soldiers who would stand next to the conquering generals telling them that they, too, were human. This is wrong. It's a powerful image. He was rappling down the side of, his, uh, of a building, the office windows exploding outward all around him. A beautiful redhead at his side, Dmitry Str- uh, Strelnikov, providing covering fire from a hovering little bird helicopter, when Dr. Clef suddenly realized that he might not be the hero. It was the expression on the girl's face that did it. She was frightened. Yes, of course she was. She was exhilarated and aroused and ready, made, and ready to make love to him, just like every single woman he had met in the past few years. Why was it that every beautiful woman in the world wanted to share his bed? That was statistically improbable. There was no way that even the sexiest man in the world could shag every single beautiful woman he came across. And Clough was not sexy. After they had destroyed the skyscraper's spontaneous combustor as he was leaning in for a kiss with the redhead, Clough paused with his lips bare millimeters from hers, then leaned back and gestured toward the door. You can leave if you want, he said. He wasn't surprised when the girl bolted. Something was wrong. Crow? Yes, Clough? How many civilian casualties were there? None. They evacuated the place before we went in. They evacuated ten city blocks in thirty seconds. Of course, the cops are very efficient. Six cops can't even knock on ten city blocks doors worth of worth city blocks worth of doors in thirty seconds. Much less evacuate everyone within. Well, maybe they just went around. Maybe we got a, just got a lucky break. Are we sure there is no civilian casualties? Of course there aren't any. Do you see any? No, I, I don't. But I just have a feeling that this something is is wrong. It was during the middle of his ninth sword fight against SCP-076 that Clough realized what the problem was. Life was too exciting. There was no way that life could ever be this exciting, he realized. The life of an SCP Foundation agent could be interesting, but a firefight and a life-or-death struggle every day? Not a single day passed during which he did not battle for the sake of the world. Not a single day in which he all he all in which all he did was paperwork and file reports. He was a researcher who spent more time bashing in people's heads with a crowbar than he did doing any actual research. After he kicked Abel over the edge of the Grand Canyon, Dr. Clef took a moment to think back to the last day he could remember ever being bored. Oh. Oh. Oh! That's went wrong. And if, if that were true... Gears? Yes, Clef. I'm thinking that maybe we shouldn't deploy against SCP-953 this time. Why? Because, in the end, with all the collateral damage we'll deal bringing her in, it would be less destructive just to let her eat a liver or two. Are you saying that you're giving up? No, I'm just... Look, is this the only way? We are the foundation. We secure, we contain, we protect. But if you're tired, I can send in Kondraki instead. No, no, I'll, I'll do it. I just... 
needed a moment to think. Take all the time you need, Dr. Clef. You've done enough work. After all, the Foundation would fall apart without you. It is after he has thrown SCP-953 into the intake of the Boeing 747 that Clef finally allows him to grieve. He grieves for the dead bystanders he will never see, for the pain and chaos he knows he is causing but cannot perceive. He grieves for the Foundation, fallen from grace, and for his friends, who know not what they do. He grieves for Dr. Otto Clef, trapped in a hell of his own creation. Damned to be the badass for the rest of his life. <laughs> so that's a thing. I don't know, I guess he's just, like... I didn't see anywhere any, like, specific that might have caused this. Um, yeah. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. basically, um, since you missed the story, basically, uh, Dr. Alto Clef, he was basically, like, doing this crazy shit every day, but, like, everything was way too perfect, and he's, like, trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think due to time, we probably don't have much. We probably can't do another one. Are, yeah, are you? Let's just read Waffling About again. Okay. <laughs> Let me bring that up. I guess we're doing that one. I'll then. be the O5, if I remember okay. correctly. We're going to read a tale that we've read before. Yeah. But it was from. I don't remember it. Apparently, we have done it before. You read the tale, I'll be the O5 voice. Okay. Alright, so this is called Waffling About. Clef's dreams were shattered when his alarm decided to scream in his face. His eyes cracked open as a lazy, as a lazy, as a lazy hand fumbled to turn off the alarm. Another day, another 5 a.m. start, and another struggle to get out of the comfort of his bed. Shut up, he grumbled, his hand still trying to find the snooze button for the alarm. In the end, he knocked the clock to the floor. It beeped its last beep, coaxing a pleasant, a pleased grunt from its owner. Although the funny hide man was comfy in his bed, he knew that he had to get up. It was a special day. It was Waffle Day, and there was not a chance in hell that he'd miss his favorite breakfast. Not again. Clef slowly sat up in his bed, stretching his arms out and cracking his back before he got up. Across his room lay, lay strewn various clothing items and useless papers. It was normal, but he could never help but feel slightly guilty about the state of his room. The thought quickly passed as he made his way out of his room into his little kitchen. It was Waffle Time, and there was no point pounding over something like the mess on the floors right now. Even though it was getting really bad. Clef opened a kitchen cupboard. A Cheshire smile crawled across his face at the sight of at least five packets of waffles lying on the shelves. He pulled out a packet and opened it, causing one to fall on the floor. Oop, five-second roll, he chirped, bending down slowly to pick up the fallen waffle comrade to wipe its off on his blue pajamas. Into the toaster they went, the entire packet of four waffles, including the, four, including the floor waffle. Clef pushed down the little lever on the side of the toaster, and in they went to cook. He didn't bother going anywhere whilst they cooked. He loved the smell that came out of the toaster as it got warmer and warmer. A few minutes later, and pop went the toaster. Clef jolted a little bit, but laughed it off. Silly-ass toaster, he mumbled, still in, not fully awake. The waffles were finally ready. He grabbed a plate from another cupboard and pulled the waffles from the toaster, not caring how much he burned his fingers in the process. Plop. Onto the plate they went, one by one, and piled on top of each other in the proud waffle tower. The old man near threw himself on his couch. There was maple syrup bottle on the coffee table that he'd gotten ready the night before. He grabbed the bottle and squirted syrup all over his waffles. At last... Clef could eat his waffles. The beginning of a good, productive day started with golden brown waffles. He didn't bother with a knife or a fork. Most of them were dirty and in the sink or on the floor. He just picked up a syrup-covered waffle in his hand and started to chow down. Any syrup that dripped on his PJs was, scoopy, was quickly scooped up with a bit of waffle. And then, of course, I started getting too much syrup on, on my PJs, so I had to take them off slowly. 058-8 interrupted. 
Oh, uh, assassinating as it would be to listen to you try to turn that soft, sagging body into an object of erotic fixation, I think we're going to get back to the matter of hands. At hand. Matter of hands. I'll ask you again, and no tales about waffle time. What have you been doing since you left the site on the 8th over 60 hours ago? Sensing that his ability to bullshit might not carry through himself through this, Cleftrat again. Well, that's an incredible tale of mystery and wonder I called Lord Shittington Drops Kids at the Pool. Clef winces his superior's lips and sl- significantly. And why are significant portions of Atlantic City, New Jersey, including the casino that happens to be the site of the last recorded activity on your credit card, on fire? Clef swallowed deeply. I can promise this was vaguely rec-related. Is that work in any way related to a document on your desk labeled My Master Gambling Plan? 058 held up a forestalling hand as, 05, as Dr. Clef opened his mouth. No, enough. It is my finding that you are in gross dereliction of your duties as director of Site 66, and the following restrictions are to be placed upon you. The O5 was cut off as Clef produced a waffle out of one of his lab coat pockets. It was already half eaten and still covered in dry syrup, but it stained his pocket and picked up God only knows what. A crunching sound broke the silence between the O5 and Clef as he started to eat it. O5 8 finally piped up. The following restrictions are. He was cut off again by Clef making eye contact while slowly eating the stale waffle. O5-8 did not have the time nor patience for this. Out, he said firmly, pinching the brinch, brid, brinch. pinching the bridge of his nose. Just get out, Clef. Clef grinned with a large amount of waffle still in his mouth and stuck to his teeth. He placed what remained on the wa- of the waffle on O5-8's desk as if it was some sort of parting gift and left the office with a small skip and a step. And another waffle from another pocket. <laughs> so waffle time. Yeah. <laughs> why the f- why the fuck was the casino on fire? Because he because <laughs> he burnt down the casino. Um, based off his master gambling plan. Masterful gambling plan. I wonder if that involves waffles. Okay, now we don't have any time. <laughs> now we're <laughs> That's done. It. Okay, waffling about. Um, I don't know. That was Law Foundation. Um, they're like kind of funny uh, versions of. Of, of the, the reality of things and stuff. You know. That was really bad. You know. You know. <laughs> really bad explanation. Yeah, that's all foundation. Um, all foundation, everyone's a god and reality warps around them to be their, what they believe to be the ideal version. But they don't realize that it's happening. Yeah. To them, it's just everything's going great and fine. By yeah, pure well, coincidence. <laughs> What you said. Yeah. <laughs> my, my explanation was really bad. Um, yeah, so, again, that has been, this has been the, uh, fuck, this yeah. has been That's the Secure Contained Podcast. That was Law Foundation. I've been your co-host, David. I've been your co-host, Soran. And we don't know what topic we're doing next week, so we'll figure out next episode. Yep. Um, we will see all of you later. I really hope that hair didn't go into my water. All right. Bye. Bye.